Welcome to the Getting Mindful with Megan podcast. It's here that we will deep dive into the many different aspects of the mind, body, and spirit, all with the intention that you walk away with steps and a resolve to live better. You ready? Let's get mindful. Hey, welcome to the Getting Mindful with Megan podcast. It has been a month since I have been here and it has been a crazy month. Colton started working in Moab, but it's been so good. I say it's crazy, but it's been good. He's been able to focus on his work. I've been able to grow a lot and just honestly focus on the work I'm doing at home and then we get to spend weekends together. So it's been good. We're going to be positive about it. (laughs) I'm trying to have a positive attitude about it. But it's been super a good month, a lot of learning for me. And I have a topic on my mind that I want to share. And I've I've been working on it myself a little bit, but I'm going to work a lot more on it. But I've been really in the work of learning and searching and researching, trying to gain inspiration on this topic and how I can apply it to my own life on a deeper level, but also how I can teach it to you guys. I feel like if it helps me, it'll probably help you. And so, yeah, my intention with today's podcast episode is to try to compel you to be open to looking at yourself, to be open to being aware of your own motivations, the reasons why you're doing what you're doing in your life, and really just open up to what's driving you. Be a conscious observer. That's pretty much the definition of mindfulness is conscious awareness. And so that's what I want to invite you guys to do. Be an active listener on this podcast episode today. Ask yourself questions like, how does this apply to me? Is this a hard thing for me? Even if it's not a hard thing for you guys, like how can I apply this principle deeper in my life? So we're going to dive right in. Let's do this. In the Sermon on the Mount, there is, I love the Sermon on the Mount. Can we just for a second? (laughs) I love the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus threw it down (laughs) and it's just so good. And, but there's one part, this is the, this is the part we're going to talk about today. There's one part at the end that kind of stresses me out when I read it. It's about preparing to meet the Lord. There's two parts to this. There's two parts in the, the Bible or in the Sermon on the Mount that I want to bring up to illustrate straight the point of today's podcast. But this one kind of stresses me out. Okay. I'm just going to tell you the truth. I've kind of avoided it, but I'm ready to tackle things I need to work on. This is the one that came up. So we're going to tackle it. So I'm going to tell you guys. So at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is like, says this phrase. Okay. He says, only by doing the will of the Father is the saving grace of the Son obtainable. So he makes it very clear. You have to do the Father's will in order to get grace. So often, this is highly debated, especially like in Christian churches. This is like so debated. If it's like all grace or all works. And it's funny, we're in homeschool, we're learning about Anne Hutchinson, who was a Puritan back in the colonial times, pilgrim times. And she, I mean, honestly, she pretty much got burned to the stake because at the time it was called the covenant of works, which is this idea, right? Of like, you have to do the father's will to be able to have grace. And she kind of brought to the table, okay, but you also have to give grace and you have to be grace. You have to have grace. And so she had the covenant of grace that she brought to the table, the covenant of love. So there's like the people who really believe like it's all works. And then there's like these people over here that's like, it's all grace. It's by saving grace that we are saved. Like it's by God's grace, we're saved and that's it. Like you just have to raise your hand and say, I'm saved. And then you're saved. And 
and there's these two sides of the coins and they kind of feel contradictory, right? They're, they're contraries. And she came to the table. She's a woman in a very patriarchal religion. And she was like, hey, no, I think that grace is an important part of this whole thing. And essentially, I mean, there's a lot to her story, but she gets kicked out and blah, blah, blah. But I thought it was funny because I'm like, oh, man, we're still arguing about the same thing today. History just keeps on doing the same stuff. I love learning history because I learned that we're not that unique over here in 2023. I watch people in Christian churches all over. And I'm sure something similar in Eastern religion as well. I don't know that one for sure. But kind of arguing about, well, is it the works or is it your heart? Which one matters? Is it, is it love or is it the law? Which one's more important? And I feel like Jesus, I mean, he explains and articulates here in a minute. You'll hear how they're both so important and that we need both. So he declares right after that, he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So he's like, you have to do the, you, you have to do the work, okay? Like, you don't earn it but you have to put your heart into it. You need to try, okay? And then he says, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? So they're like, but Lord, we did everything. We did do it. We cast out in your name. We prophesied in your name. We did many wonderful works. Like we did, like I think, I think more modern, like I went to church. I shared your gospel. I served my fellow man. Won't you let me in? And then he says, ye never knew me. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So he's like, I'll profess unto them. Ye never knew me. The original actually translation of King James Version says, I never knew you. But in the Joseph Smith translation, it's ye never knew me. And I think that enlarges my understanding. I like that translation of ye never knew me. I think it makes more sense there. So that's the first thing I want you to just like, let that soak in for a second, that set of scriptures. And we're going to consider now the parable of the 10 virgins. Recall that there's like five foolish and unprepared virgins and they went to go get oil for their lamps after hearing the cry to go meet the bridegroom. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and then they that were ready went with him to the marriage and then the door was shut. And afterward came came the other five virgins saying, Lord, open the door. Lord, I think it says, Lord, Lord, open up to us or something like that. And he answered, verily, verily, I say unto you, ye knew me not. Elder Bednar says the phrases, ye never knew me and ye know me not, should cause of deep spiritual introspection for each of us. Do we only know about the Savior? Are we increasingly coming to know him? So this is why I feel like these verses kind of trigger me a little bit because it's like, as a human, it's really normal to have black and white thinking. It's like, well, it's either the law or it's love. It's either grace or or justice, right? It's either it's either give everything or give nothing. <laughs> like it my brain wants to do that because I'm a human. I think it's normal, but I really think that that Jesus is teaching how important both of those are and those contraries there's contraries all over throughout jesus's gospel and i think he wants us to get really comfortable with contraries and so when i was reading that something that really stuck out to me was just 
how they're they're doing the right things. Like they're like, we're prophesying in your name. We're casting out devils. I mean, I even think of about the, the ones that weren't ready and they didn't get to the the marriage in time. They didn't have their oils, oil filled in time. So they went to go get it. They were there. Like they were at the wedding. They were trying to go. They, but but they didn't know him. And so what does it mean to know God? But also how can we apply this not I, I love to take the scriptures. Probably my favorite thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is taking scriptures and then applying it to actual everyday life. Like, how does this matter in a not just spiritual sense, but like how do I apply this to like my mental and my physical? And how if how is not understanding this like deep doctrine maybe affecting me in a negative way when it comes to how I handle work relationships? I love to connect those dots. That's like my favorite thing to do. And so we're going to do that with this set of scriptures because I realized that this hadn't maybe sunk into my heart and it's affecting a lot of my relationships and other areas of my life. So you never knew me. So when I think about that, I think what, what the Lord is saying is like, we don't, like, you don't have a relationship with me. You don't see me. You don't hear me. You don't know me. You, we, you don't love me. I think like deep, 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 deep. I think the Lord's asking us like, Hey, I don't want you to go to church and read your scriptures because you just should, because I said to do it. I want you to do it out of pure love for me. And this is charity, right? The pure love of Christ. Christ's love completely untainted I think he desires us to be motivated by that same love in how we serve him and also how we serve our fellow men. And so this this concept is hard <laughs> to apply. It's hard, but it's it's so so important. What is motivating you? Are you motivated out of fear? Are you motivated out of uh shoulds? Are you motivated out of selfish selfishness or are you motivated out of pure love and i i it's hard <laughs> it's not an easy thing to practice but but i want you to ask yourself like if you're for you like it doesn't have to be gospel even related but for you right now like are there things you're doing for others or for god and you're just doing it cuz you want a certain result i know for me like this is totally true like i just want peace sometimes. So sometimes I do things because I'm like, I just want peace. And and then I I tell my brain, this is funny, it's not great, but it's human of me. And then I tell my brain like, "Oh, you're such a good person. You did that because like you were thinking of others." When in the reality was was I was thinking about myself and how I wanted to feel. And and there's there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Like I'm not I don't want you to go black and white here. <laughs> I don't want you to think like it's there's this, a pendulum and we don't want to go extreme on either side. But I want you to think about your motivations. Are you doing it because you just want a certain result? Are you doing it because you've been told you should and your ego wants to feel good about yourself? This one's really interesting, especially like in a gospel sense, right? Are you doing things because your whole life they've said good people do these things? And when you do it, you're like, okay, good. I'm a good person now. And then you feel good. Are you doing it because you want to feel a certain emotion or are you doing it because you genuinely love Jesus? Like you're saying, I just, I will do anything you ask. I love, I love you. You've given me so much. I will give you anything. And it's because I love you and I want to. Are you doing it because you're afraid of what others will think or feel? This one's very, very common for me. A lot of times I don't do 
things. I don't say things that I should say that I that I want to say. I don't act in a way I want to act because I'm afraid of how that will be perceived by my peers. And that is being motivated out of fear, fear of what people think instead of loving people. So it's different. Like sometimes maybe we don't say that rude thing and we're like, oh, we're just such nice people. I'm just so nice. But the reality is, is that we're actually just motivated by fear because we're actually scared of what they think instead of like, I didn't say that because I love you so much and I, I, I care about what you will feel. And it's not because I'm worried about what I'll feel. If you feel that negative emotion, it's because I just genuinely love you. So a thought there, what, what are you motivated by? Are you motivated because you've been taught it's the right thing to do and you're a rule follower? And you feel proud of yourself when you follow the rule. I want to feel proud, so I'm going to follow the rules. Again, these aren't inherently bad, you guys. It's not bad to follow the rules because it's a good thing to do. That's that's an okay reason, but I think that it's good, better, best. Like the very best reason to follow a rule is because you just genuinely respect and love and know how know the person who's giving it to them enough that you trust them and you you want to follow them and you want to do what they say. That is so different, such a different motivation. Are you doing it because you think if you do, you'll be happy? I see this all the time in the gospel. The gospel makes you happy. Follow the rules and you'll be happy. I think that a lot of people follow the rules and then they aren't happy <laughs> and they leave the church and they followed the rules. They leave They leave their the Bible behind. They leave all of these beliefs behind because they're like, I did what you guys said and I wasn't happy. And I think Jesus is articulating, I mean, a similar type of point, which is like, you did what I said, but you weren't feeling it. And so I always teach feelings first, okay? First, we need to look at what's going on in our hearts. In the Bible, it says Jesus look, or the, sorry, not Jesus, the Lord looketh upon our hearts. Jesus invites us to look at our hearts and he invites us to try and he knows we're not going to be perfect at this. We know we're not going to be perfect at this, but he wants our motivation to be pure love, untainted love, untainted with selfishness, untainted with fear, untainted with ego and pride. He wants love to be the motivator. And what I believe is when love for God is our main motivator, the things you are meant to do for others and for God and for yourself will come naturally and organically. It's not going to be things that feel pressure filled and hard. And it's not going to be all these tasks that you've got to figure out how to fit into your day. Instead, the right things that you are meant to do and say to people will come naturally and organically because you will be under the influence of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and it will move you to act and do the things that you are meant to do because you are motivated by love and that is conducive to the Holy Spirit. In our world, it is so easy to hyperfixate on what can be measured. It's the physical, right? We can physically see what somebody's doing. So it is so easy to judge them based off of what they are doing. I have been guilty of this in two different ways. I've been guilty of judging somebody off of what they are doing and thinking you are not, your heart's not in a good place. Like, 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 and in a, what's funny is it's actually in the opposite way. Like sometimes I see people 
in a relationship not do something I wish that they would do and I judge their hearts. Like I'm like, well, you didn't do this. So if you really cared about me, you would do this and I'm judging their hearts. And I don't even have a clue what's going on in their heart, right? Or I see what they're doing and I'm like, if you were a good person, I don't really ever think things like this anymore, maybe when I was younger, but like, if you're a good person, you would do all of these things and you're not. And so you must be a bad person, right? Like I I can just see that we judge based on the physical and we have to remember that Jesus taught that the Lord looketh upon the heart. And we can't judge people's hearts. We don't have eyes to see hearts the way that God does unless he gives us those eyes to see. And so I love what Jesus said when he came and he said, it's not my job to judge, it's my job to save. It's not our job to judge. We're just meant to love. Like that's our job is to love people and to love ourselves and to love God. So be aware that we don't want to measure. We don't need to be the judges. We can't we can't see what's going on. Well, let's leave that up to to God, okay? Something that I notice that I struggle with and a lot of my clients is feeling a lot of pressure in life. I think in our modern society pressure is a very very common feeling that we move by. We're moving by pressure, right? Pressure to perform well, pressure to check all the boxes, to do all the things like something I find really interesting it's just like a little tidbit throw in here, but off the cuff, I don't have this in my notes, but, but is that a common phrase in our society is every day. You should read your scriptures every day. You should work out every day. You should journal every day. You should meditate every day. You should take an hour with each kid every day. You should have family, uh, family dinners every day at a table. You should, and we use that word every day. <laughs> And then we feel this pressure to do all these things. It's not even realistic at all to do all those things every day. It's not realistic to, to be everything for somebody, everyone all the time. We feel pressure to live our lives in a way that nobody gets upset and nobody's, there's no conflict and there's no feelings hurt. And we have pressure to just be all the things all the time. And it is a super hard, intense way to live. It's overwhelming it leaves us feeling drained, like we're never enough. And it's because the reality is, is we can't do it all. We cannot do all of that. We will fall short. And if we start thinking we should, and we try to at the expense of ourselves and our health and our peace, we may start to build up resentment. This applies in all of our relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with our spouses, our relationship with our friends, if we start thinking, I should check all the boxes for you. I should do all of these things because I need something back from you. I need to know, God, that I, if I do all these things, then I'm going to be happy. If I do all these things, then I'm going to get to heaven. If we think that that's how it is, and then we have a day where we're not happy, we're like, what the heck? You're not giving me what I thought that I deserved right? Or or a better example, I think that one's a little, I don't know, euphoric or I don't know the right word, but but is with our spouses. If we say, you know, I self-sacrifice for you all the time. I give you whatever you want. You should do that for me. It builds up a lot of resentment because guess what? 
others aren't going to be able to love you perfectly either. We're earthling humans. We're not going to love perfectly. We aren't going to be able to be givers perfectly. A lot of times we won't be motivated by the right reasons and we will fall short, but also those around us will fall short too. And it's hard when you feel like I just gave you everything. I sacrificed myself and now you don't want to do anything for me. That that builds resentment. And we want to be really careful with resentment. Resentment is an emotion. I want this to be very clear. It's an emotion that comes from a thought. So we have the thought, probably something along as it's not fair. I have to do all of this. I have to give, give, give. But you don't have to. And we have to be very careful because those thoughts are almost always rooted in a false understanding of agency. So let's break down a couple phrases that we can use to catch ourselves when we may not be motivated, when we may be used, are motivated by something other than love and or that, that will build resentment if we use them often. <laughs> and those are shoulds and have tos, okay? Thoughts like I should and I have to often create negative emotions. In Matthew 7, so in the same chapter, I think, the Savior taught a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. So these thoughts of I have to do this or I should do this are they often create resentment, bitterness, and deep irritation. So here's two examples that I have come up with that you may have encountered before, okay? Let's pretend this is for all the moms out there. This one I wrote from experience, okay? You get asked to babysit and you are exhausted, okay? And your house is a mess. And somebody's like, hey, will you watch my kid, you know? And, you're, and you think, I should say yes. And you're like, oh, I shouldn't say yes. And in your heart, you really don't want to, but you do love God, like logically, you know, like logically. And when you're conscious, you're like, I do love you, Jesus. I just don't want to do this. Like, I don't know. The desire's not there, right? And, but you also, you don't want to feel guilty. Like that would be terrible, right? So in your heart, you're like, I don't really want to, but I don't want to feel guilty because if I don't do it, I'll feel so guilty that I didn't do it. And I don't want her to be mad at me because I didn't do it. And so begrudgingly, you say yes anyway. Okay, that's scenario number one. Scenario number two is it's four o'clock. It's time to start making dinner and you really don't want to. <laughs> and you think to yourself like, I freaking hate making dinner. I, have, I hate that I have to make dinner. And with resentment, kind of just like, Ugh, like why is my life like, why do I have to do all these things I don't want to do? And that little resentment brewing in your heart, you decide, well, my family needs me and you start preparing the meal. Okay. Both of these examples may have seemingly resulted in choosing the right things, right? Like we chose to babysit, we chose to be of service, we're supposed to serve, right? We chose to make dinner and take care of our families. Again, we chose to serve, we chose to give to our fellow man and and ourselves here. But if your heart's not in the right place, perhaps like good fruit isn't being produced. Instead of using phrases like I should or I have to, I want you to allow yourself to use your agency and be a deliberate, conscious 
agent over your life. What I mean by that is, I know some of you guys are like already arguing, but but I should do it and I do have to make dinner. And this is where I would argue my client. Let's do the dinner one, okay? They'll be like, I have to make dinner. Like I literally have to. And I'd be like, no, you don't. You could choose to starve. That is an option. You could choose to go get takeout. You could choose to tell your kids to eat cereal. You could choose to show up at a friend's house and be like, feed us. You could choose to order food in. Like there's five options that I just named in two seconds. I'm sure that there's more I haven't come up with in my mind right now. But like those are, you have so many options. And now I know some of those suck and you don't want them. But then instead of thinking I have to make dinner, I want you to choose which one you want to do. Be so conscious about your ability to choose and tell yourself, I want this one. Out of all my options, this is the one that I want. I want to make dinner, okay? And I know the shoulds too. Um, I was in a Sunday school class and in the new Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in their emotional resiliency class, there's a section on shoulds. And saying like, be really careful with thinking shoulds. And all the old men in the room were like arguing it so bad. They're just like, but you, there are things you should do. And this generation is soft and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, I totally get what they're saying. I can totally understand. But also, it's not that we shouldn't do those things. It's just that we want to do them for the right reasons. We want to be motivated by love. We want to be motivated not by guilt, not by shame. We don't want to be motivated by fear We don't want to be motivated by pressure, social pressure. We don't want humans to become our God. We just want God to be our God. And we need to know our God. We need to love our God. And as we love our God, those things will just happen organically. My idea about this, because I'm a religious person, is that if you bring God into your decision, you can be assured that your choices will bear good fruit. Sometimes he might encourage you to reframe your thinking and align your desire with his. So like sometimes somebody asks you to babysit and you're like, oh, I don't want to babysit. And he might encourage you to reframe your thinking. Like he might want you to think, like he might be like, if you prayed, you're like, what should I do? I don't know. I don't really want to do it. He might encourage you to like think about it differently. He might bring something to your mind like that one time when you needed a babysitter and how grateful you were and how it feels so good to do that for others. And he might let you do that. You know, like he might bring that to your mind for you or invite you to bring something like that gratitude to your mind for you as well. And other times he may just offer you get grace and encourage you to rest. He knows you're a human. You can't do everything. He says to love others as you love yourself. You have to think about yourself. Like you have to think, what do I need? What does everyone need in this situation? I love this definition for grace, you guys. It's not what's deserved, it's what's needed. In this situation, what is needed? And sometimes what's needed is for you to say no and for you to rest so that you can breathe, so that you can show up your very best and serve with a bigger ability. It's the same idea, age old, you've all heard it. Like you can't pour from an empty cup, right? So like sometimes what is needed is just for you to say no. And sometimes what's needed is for you to change your thoughts and say yes. And sometimes what's needed is for you to be humble and 
do things that are hard. But but if you go to God and you let, like we talked about at the very beginning, and you let the Holy Spirit guide you and you say, hey, I want to be motivated by love. Help me. Where? What do I do? What does love do in this situation? And I love, love, love that thought. It's what does love do right now? And usually that will bring you into your very best, best thing. So in the two examples that I that I gave you, if you'd brought your decision to God, perhaps the scenarios might have ended differently. Yeah. Even just if it's in mindset. In the first scenario, take pretend like you take a minute and you're like, okay, I'm going to like talk to God. I'm going to let the spirit whisper. And it says, you know, take care of you and yourself, yourself and your family today. So you end up telling your friend, I'm so sorry. I can't this time, but I'd love to another day. And you feel so grateful because God gave you that grace and he, he was giving to you in that moment and you were able to receive from him, right? You're able to receive that grace. I think giving and receiving need to be balanced. We need to be giving, but we also need to be receiving grace. We need to be receiving from, from God as well. And he's such a good giver. <laughs> he's so graceful. He's got so much mercy. He's not judging you the way that you're judging you. It's so different than how our human brains think about it. And maybe in the second scenario, you allow yourself to think through your choices like we just did with the five choices. You recognize that you actually do want to make dinner for your family and you make a conscious decision based on your desire and recognize your freedom to choose. You recognize that nobody's holding you hostage to dinner. You guys, when, when you think someone's holding you hostage, when you feel like you have to, do you know what that does? It puts you into victim mindset. Like I literally think that, oh, I have to make dinner. And then it's like somebody's holding you down. You have to make dinner. And then you become a victim and victims are stuck. Victimhood, they, they, they're not the hero, right? They're not the one that's, they're not, there's a villain in the story when there's a victim always. So keep that in mind as we talk about resentment here in a second. There's, if there's a, a victim in the story and you're the victim, there will always be a villain in this story. And if you're a villain, there's always going to be a victim in this story. So if if even like how silly is that? But even like there's some outside source that's making me have to flip and make dinner and we feel victimized and then we spiral and it just sucks. It's the worst feeling. You guys have felt it before. I know you have because it sucks. But so let's pretend though you make this conscious decision. Like, no, I want to make dinner. Like this is like the best thing that I out of all my options, this is the one I want. And then you cook j- with joy and you're like, hey, I like doing this. Like, I want to do this. This is good. And then your brain, you guys, when you start thinking positively, like, I want to do this, then your brain starts looking for all the reasons you want to do it because the law of harvest is real. You can't plant zucchini. You can't plant negativity. Oh, I have to do this. And then have a good time making dinner. Like, it just doesn't, they don't go together. You, It's like you can't get zu- put zucchini in the ground and then get a tomato plant. That's just not how it works. And so, the more that you like you think that first thought positive thought it's actually going to build more and more positive thinking for you so my my invite i guess is use your agency make powerful decisions about who you are and who you want to be that's going to require you to be awake because for me this is what's really hard <laughs> i hate when people feel negative like i i i my whole life this has been a really struggle for me is that i don't like watching people feel negative emotions. I feel like it's like, like I end up feeling almost victimized by it. I feel like if I, let me give you an example. Like if my husband like doesn't like something that I do and I can tell, 
I feel like a victim. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like something's wrong with me. He's feeling like this. He shouldn't feel like that. That's a thought I have a lot of times, which is not useful. Um, and then what's funny is sometimes I'll do things to try to negate anybody else's negative emotions. And it's all so unconscious. Like it's just, it's just habits and patterns. And so, like I said at the beginning, like we need to wake up. Like we need to become aware. What is motivating me? I'm noticing in my life that a lot of times I'm just motivated by a fear of negative emotions and fear of feeling yucky. And so I'm like, I don't want to feel yucky. And so I avoid situations completely that need to be dealt with. I'll um, not do something I really desire or I'll even ignore like the Holy Spirit within me that's like telling me to do something. I'm like, no, because I don't want to feel negative emotions. I'll like ignore things like that. And then I get kind of resentful when other people, I've noticed this is not my favorite thing about myself. I really want to work on this, but I've noticed when other people don't do the same and be like, hate me feeling negative emotions and they just let me feel my negative emotions like like a normal human would. I'm like, what the heck? Like you should be self-sacrificing for my negative emotions. I did that for you. And that's just not how, it's not how God works. I think he made that so clear. Like he's like, you you can do all the right things, but what matters is what's going on in your heart. And so for me, like people pleasing, people pleasing seems really, really nice. It feels like you're, it makes your ego sometimes feel good because it's like, well, I'm thinking about how you feel and I'm making sure you don't have any bad feelings ever. And is that the point of earth? No, humans get to choose how they feel. So first of all, the biggest thing with people pleasing and shoulds for others and shoulds for ourselves is just remembering that we are in charge of how we feel. I am not a victim to other people's negative emotions and they are not a victim to me. They get to choose how they feel. Now, people swing on the pendulum here. You can probably imagine. So first they're people pleasing and they're just doing anything that anybody tells them to do because they don't want to hurt their feelings or they don't want to do any of like they don't want anybody to have a negative emotion. And then they learn, oh, people pleasing, it's really not motivated by great intentions. I always say people pleasers are liars. And I can say that because I struggle with people pleasing, but people pleasing is lying. Essentially, it's not being true to you. It's doing what somebody else wants because they want you to, not because you want to. And so people pleasing is lying. It's not motivated. It's motivated out of fear. So then they learn that this has happened to me. And then they swing on the pendulum. They're all the way over on like the very left side. You can think of like a ball on a, on a string. And then the ball drops and they're like, okay, we're not doing that anymore. And then it swings all the way over to the other side. And they start, I don't have to do anything you say. I don't care what you think. And they start going there, right? You guys are toxic. <laughs> it's just like, it's. It's the same thing as just swinging on the other side of the pendulum and they start to be really can be very abrasive and very snide and um, short and and they they don't want to care about anybody's feelings and they don't want to think about how other people feel. And there's these two sides of the pendulum. I really think there's a very beautiful balance in the middle. And I think the balance is always motivated by charity. And it's just in this moment, like what does love do? Like, what is the most loving version of Megan do? And that's who I want to be. That's if, if 
love right now sometimes looks like saying your peace. I love that about Jesus. You can't always ask, what would Jesus do? Because sometimes Jesus flips over sacrament tables and whips people in the temple. And sometimes he draws in the sand and doesn't respond. And sometimes he goes and makes people feel really uncomfortable when he says, or he lets people feel, he doesn't make them feel uncomfortable. He lets people feel really uncomfortable when he says like, hey, I'm the son of God. And and they're like people from his hometown and that they're, that's very uncomfortable for them. And so he lets them feel like that. So it's not like Jesus just made everyone feel good all the time. In fact, I would say he was really good sometimes at letting people not feel good. And it's something that I think so many of us can work on. But he also was motivated by love. He wasn't doing it out of spite. He wasn't doing it out of bitterness and resentment. He was doing it out of love for his father, love for God. Sometimes that looked like defending God. Sometimes it looked like drawing in the stand and holding his tongue. And when you're motivated by the Holy Ghost, you'll know which one it should be. And you don't need to worry about what that looks like. You just get to practice. And it won't be perfect at first. Sometimes you'll swing You'll swing from one side to the other. It won't be perfect, but that's okay. To end this podcast, I I want to tell you a quote that I read. It's by Jody Moore, and I just loved it. She said, resentment is your own self yelling to get your attention and tell you what you really need. One of my favorite thoughts that I, I feel like lately I've let go of a little, but I want to re- reinstate and really try to believe as I take care of my own needs. And this I want these to go together. I'm being supported. I'm being supported by God. I'm being supported by those around me. Like I am being supported and I take care of my own needs. When resentment starts to brew in you, I want you to ask, what do I need? And then I want you to go give it to yourself. If you need a break, stop with the shoulds. If you need rest, you're allowed. If you need to say no, it's okay. But really check in with yourself. Is love motivating you? Love for yourself and love for others? Or are you motivated by fear? And, and is, it, is, is it fear? Because you're like, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to have enough time. I'm so stressed. I don't know. Or is it, I really love myself and I don't want to put myself in a situation where I'm super rushed. And I also love these people that I'm serving and I don't want to be rushed with them and I don't want to come in that energy. So I'm going to need to set a different time to do this. Do you get what I'm saying? The, the thing is, is I just wish it was so black and white. I wish it was like, always just do these things and then you're good. But that's not reality. The contraries exist. Like it's both. Sometimes it looks like giving up what you want. And sometimes it looks like giving yourself what you want. And I really believe that when the pendulum starts swinging, there's a beautiful balance of giving and receiving. And that like Jesus said, as much as you love yourself, love others. Think about yourself and what you need and what loving you looks like and think about others and what they need and what loving them looks like. And ultimately, the first great commandment, think about loving God and what loving God looks like. And that, I believe, you guys, is where true peace comes in. One of the, the last things I want to say is tap into abundance, to really be a giver and a receiver. You have to be in the abundant mindset. Um, when I was kind of working through this in my mind before this episode started, I was just thinking like, how much do you give? Is there like, do I need to go into that? And I just had the thought like, no, like tap into abundance. There is always enough. The earth is full. 
right? There's always more than enough. So with that thought, that doesn't always mean give more, give more, give more. It means there's always enough. Somebody else may need the chance to give and you may need the chance to do something different. Really open yourself up to an abundant mindset and see that like the eye of faith, that like good things come when you have faith. Tap into gratitude and be a giver. Be a giver. What you, what you give, you receive. What you reap is what you sow. So, okay. I hope that that was made sense and that you guys got something from that. To, to end, I just want to remind you what, what Jesus said in the beginning. Like, ye never knew me. To really, really practice this balance, I think the very first thing we need to do is get to know God. Get to know and love God. That to me looks like spending time sincerely talking with God and listening, spending my thought, giving my, my thoughts, turning my thoughts towards, towards God and asking him what I can do different, asking him to show me what I need to learn, being willing and open to, to have change happen within me, but also, you know, just, just listening and Think about if you really know somebody. It's like you can, you can know somebody for three minutes, but it's like if you don't know their favorite color, like you don't really know them, right? Like to really know somebody, you have to spend time and energy and attention with them. And so if you really want to be better at people pleasing, if you really want to stop feeling shoulds and pressure in your life, I think it starts with getting to know God. So start there. Good luck. I love you all. I'll see you soon.